Well, welcome to Northridge. We finally found winter. I mean, this is amazing. I don't know about you, but uh, when you hit December and you haven't had snow yet in Wisconsin, that's like, that's, that's kind of like, you know, the Red Sea was parted or something. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So uh, one thing I wanted to do before we get deep into the message here this morning, uh, I just wanted to personally, Tanya already did, uh, but I wanted to personally invite you to the open house tonight. Um, Laura and I started that um, tradition when we first moved here, when we only had, like, we just started weekly services, and we were pretty tiny. We were pretty small as a church, and some of you were here. You remember that. And we, we would always invite everybody to our house. Well, over the next three years, the third year um, was, I mean, it was still fun. It was still nice, but it was kind of like, uh, how are you? You know, this guy. And it was really tight, and it was just, it was just getting bad. And so last year, we decided, we, it was kind of hard for us because we enjoy hosting at our home, but uh, we just couldn't do it anymore. There was no way. There was way too many people. And so we went to Meadowbrook, and thank goodness we did because last year it was just, it was still, it wasn't packed. It wasn't uncomfortable. Man, there was a ton of people there. So we're just excited about this. This is one of our favorite things to do. So we want you to be our guest. So come to the Meadowbrook Neighborhood Center uh, tonight, anywhere from four to six. You can stay for 10 minutes or two hours, whatever you want. And, uh, and we're going to have lots of fun and, and lots of good food. So, uh, and for me, like I enjoy talking to people, but man, when I can do it when there's a lot of good food around, like that just is, is perfect world right there. So, um, so we're just uh, glad that you guys are here. If you are here for the very first time, you've never been here before, uh, I just want to say welcome to you, uh, because this is, this is a big deal that you would come check us out, take a risk on a new place, new church, all that kind of stuff. And so thank you for checking us out. Thank you for giving us a shot. Um, and then we, we also want you to know something else that we always talk about, and that is that this is a safe place for you. Northridge is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, maybe you have walked with God for a long time, you've had a relationship with Jesus for, seems like forever, Maybe you're just kind of starting. Maybe you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. You're not sure what even that looks like. You're not even sure that you were supposed to. Maybe you're here and you know you don't have a relationship because you don't even know if you believe in God or the Bible or anything like that. And you're just, you'd say, I'm just here. And maybe you don't admit that, but you just, honestly, that's where you're at. This is a safe place for you. We want you to be here. And this is an opportunity for you to ask questions of us. What does it look like to follow God? And, and our whole goal here at Northridge is helping each other to grow closer to God and walk in a relevant everyday faith following Jesus. And that's what our hope is. And so we're just glad that you're here to do that. So we are in the second Sunday of Advent, um, but uh, I wanted to start with a story this morning. Uh, a few nights ago, my family, uh, we were sitting at the table, so it was Laura and I and our three kids. And, and as we do a lot at supper, we, uh, we have this rule that there's no toys which for Tanner would be cars, for Jackson would be an iPod or something, and Hannah, who knows? It could be any day. It's going to be something different because uh, that's just how she rolls. And, and, and so, there's some, so there's no toys and there's no electronics at the table because we are going to actually look at each other and interact. Um, so that's the rule. And so we're sitting there and we're talking, we're discussing about who knows what, and we're having this conversation. I honestly can't remember the topic, but Jackson and Hannah specifically, Tanner just sits there and does his three-year-old thing, which is awesome, um, just makes us laugh most of the time. But they're asking Laura and I questions, and we didn't know the answers to some of these questions. And so I did what a lot of us probably do. I actually did pull out my phone, and yeah, I know electronics know, but this was going to add to the discussion. So I pulled out my phone, you know, and I can't remember what, even what the question was, and I said, you know, hey Siri, right? 
And, and, and I have to ask my phone, like, the question. And so I did that, and, and we got the answer, and we continued on with with the discussion and, and kind of like, hey, this is what the phone says, that this is true. I don't know. Do you think that's true? And we kind of had a good conversation. Well, the reason I bring that up is because we like to ask questions when we don't know the answer to a question. When we are asked a question, we have to find answers. And, uh, and our phones are kind of a, it's a great way to do that. And I just want to have some fun this morning. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. If you have an iPhone, you may be aware of this. But you can say, you know, hey, Siri, and do all these things. And you ask a question, they, and they ask. But let me just, uh, I, I found out something this week that was really cool. Uh, so I want to ask Siri a question, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go by the mic so you can kind of hear this. Hey, Siri, can you beatbox? Here's one I've been practicing boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots. I could do this all day. Cats and boots and 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 cats. And she actually ends, which is really the best part of that. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I, that was just pretty cool. I didn't know that my phone could do that. I was like, hey, that's a cool question. I love that. Can you be by? Yeah, she said, yeah, I can. Um, so, but you can also get serious with like, like, you know, the more serious questions. And uh, we'll see how this turns out. But, um, but Siri like, sometimes likes to answer that. So let's try this. Hey, Siri, which came first, the chicken or the egg? If it's a race, definitely the chicken, unless it's downhill. <laughs> that's pretty good stuff right there i mean you have to admit that's pretty somebody had to be like really thinking and be like oh this would be a good one you know like this event. i mean and so we we have these phones they're attached to us right they're always there they remind us of everything but but what's great is you can ask your phone questions and they will give you answers sometimes it's silly like that sometimes they're real answers they'll pull up articles and you can kind of learn this well the reason i bring this up is because we are in the middle of this series called Interrupted. And, uh, and, and last week we talked about the wise men part of the Christmas story. This week we're going to focus on a guy named King Herod. He's a key part of the Christmas story in, in a lot of ways. But what we're talking about in this whole series is we're talking about all the people in the real Christmas story, as told in God's Word, in the Bible, and how they were interrupted by Jesus, by God. And what did they do as a result? And so last week we talked about the wise men and how they were interrupted in their response. Today we're going to talk about King Herod and his response. And really the reason I brought up the phone and the questions and all that stuff is because King Herod is going to be asked a question by the wise men that he doesn't know the answer to. Now, he doesn't have an iPhone, right? King Herod couldn't say, hey Siri, right? He couldn't do that because he didn't have that possibility. So how does he figure out the answer? We're going to look into that. And so if you like to follow along on your phone or in your Bible, your own Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. It's always on the handout there, but Matthew chapter 2, and it'll be on the screen. If you like to follow along, we're going to read about King Herod, the King Herod part of the story. We're going to read the whole part of this, and then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of take it piece by piece and unpack it. All right? So starting in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, going through verse 8. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So this is the King Herod part of the story. King Herod is there. He's doing his kingly thing. Whatever that is, hanging out on the throne, I don't know. But he's on this normal, everyday kind of day for him. And King Herod is just hanging out. He's right there. And all of a sudden, these wise men show up and they ask him a question. Where is Jesus born? Where is the Messiah born? We saw his star and we kind of followed it over here, but we're not entirely sure now where to go. So we're asking you because you're the king, you should know. You're in the know, right? You should know this. And so he's asked this question that he does not know the answer to. And, and so he's going to have to figure this out. Now, now this brings up a question that, that Herod has to answer, and the question is not, where is Jesus born? Although, yes, he has to answer that practical question. But more than anything, this brings up a really important, much deeper question. One that King Herod had to wrestle with, and one that you and I, all people, every person on the planet, has to wrestle with. And that question is very simple. It's one that we've talked about a couple of times already in this series. And the question is this, how do I respond to God? King Herod had to determine, okay, there's this newborn king, the Messiah, The Son of God is born, apparently, and I not only need to know where he's born, but I need to know what I'm going to do with this. King Herod has to determine, how am I going to respond to being interrupted by this Jesus? And so he has to determine that that question. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to spend a few moments looking at how King Herod responds to being interrupted by God. Because I think as we look at how King Herod responds, we're going to learn some things about ourselves. I know I did this this week as I looked a little deeper into it. And so I want to talk about three ways that King Herod responds with being interrupted by Jesus, by God. And uh, and we'll kind of take some parallels, all right? So we're going to jump in. So King Herod has asked this question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? And I want to go to his first response. We have to go back to verse 3. It says this. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Okay, so deeply disturbed. Now, you guys know at Northridge, we've talked a lot about, you guys know the Bible was not originally written in English, right? We translated it so that uh, people like me can actually read it and know what's going on. Well, sometimes, (laughs) right? If you've read the Bible, you know, sometimes you read it and you go, Nope, I'm not sure that was English, because <laughs> I really don't know what's going on there. But, but it, it wasn't originally written in English. It was written in a completely different language. And the one that we know that it was originally written in, at least based on the complete manuscripts that we have from way back at that time, was something called Koine or Koine Greek. Okay? Very simply put, the New Testament was written Koine Greek. That was a common Greek language at the time. Understand that they had to write it in a language that at least most people could read and understand because this is in the Roman Empire at that time. Remember the Romans, they kind of took care of most of the world at that point. So they control most of the world. And so a lot of the people, their primary language is not Greek, but it's Latin. 
Okay? You know, where we get a lot of our language from is Latin. So a lot of them, their primary language, what they spoke was Latin. A lot of people in Israel, of course, what do they speak? Their language, their primary language is Hebrew. Okay? You have Aramaic. You have Greek, but you have different forms of Greek. And so when you have people that are trying to get together and they're actually trying to, you know, work in the marketplace, for example, and this guy's trying to sell something to this guy and this guy wants to wrangle with him on the price and all that kind of stuff, you need to be speaking the same language, right? To understand each other. And so they have this language that everybody uses. It's come to, this is a really fancy word, but it's called the lingua franca which means it was the language that everybody adopted because they all had different primary languages, but they wouldn't be able to understand each other. And so there's this common Greek, Koine Greek, that a lot of people understood. And so they used that. And so what they do is they wrote the New Testament in Koine Greek. The reason I bring that up is because, okay, it says King Herod was deeply disturbed. But what does that really mean? We translated it to that, but what was the original word? The original Greek Koine Greek word that we, dis, that we translate into deeply disturbed is called terasso. Terasso. And if you look up terasso, back then, what did terasso mean? What did, this real, what did the writers originally mean that was happening with King Herod? This is what you would get if you looked up the original definition of terasso. It means agitated, troubled, distressed, restless, anxious. Does that give you a little bit clearer picture of what it means by deeply disturbed? <laughs> deeply disturbed is just one level, but we're talking about he was unsettled. He was agitated. He was upset by this question. So King Herod responds by, to inter- being interrupted by God, just kind of going, I'm not sure if I'm okay with this. I am unsettled about this. I am uncomfortable with this. And to be honest, if we were honest with ourselves, I want to just ask you a question. How do you usually respond when God interrupts your day? How do you feel? Do you jump for joy? God, thank you for changing my plans today. Awesome. Or do you go, I'm not sure if I'm okay with this. Like, I'm not sure if I have time for this. I'm not sure if I want to do this. To be honest, I I can tell you how I feel. A lot of times... I think I respond like King Herod does. Honestly, I'm a little unsettled by it. I'm like, okay, wait, God, was that, uh, you want me to, what? Have you ever had that? Where God kind of all of a sudden puts somebody in front of you? Or there's the homeless person holding the sign and you're the one that got to the stoplight and you're the one that has to sit right next to them? How many of you inch forward so you're past them? I know, we're getting real now, aren't we? Yeah, right, because we know. Why is that? Because we're unsettled about it. We're like, don't look at them. Just don't look at them. It's going to turn green, turn green, turn green. Right? We've all been there, right? It's when God interrupts your thoughts and your day and your nice, warm, safe car with the radio station that you like. It's unsettling when God interrupts you. And that's how King Herod felt. He was unsettled. He's disturbed. He's like, I don't know if I'm good with this. A new king of the Jews, the Messiah. Everything's been going good, God. I have my plan. I'm set. I know what I'm doing. I'm the king. This changes all that. He's not sure if he likes it. And so it comes into this thing where we have to understand, is it okay to be unsettled? Well, to be honest, I think that for a time, for a moment, 
It's okay to be unsettled when God interrupts us to some degree. If you look at the Psalms, David, the guy who slays Goliath, right? I mean, he's like, I mean, God's hero, you know, on earth. And and he writes the Psalms, and there's a lot of Psalms. If you read them, just read them. Read in there, David's going, God, what are you doing? Why are my enemies seem like they're winning? Why is evil triumphing? I don't understand, God. What's going on? He's unsettled. He's trying to explain to God, I'm not sure if I'm okay with everything happening. But then David does come back to the point where he says, but I will trust you. I do trust you. But he's unsettled about it. Think about, you look at the disciples, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at the Gospels. When you read about Jesus and how he interacted with his disciples, a whole lot of times Jesus is doing things and saying things, and the disciples are really not cool with it. I mean, they're just like, I am unsettled with this. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, you, you, what are you, I don't know where you're going with this. Just read, you start reading some of that stuff, and the disciples are like, whoa, what is this now? They're unsettled. And I think that there's some, to some degree, it's okay that we're unsettled. But then we have to get past that experience and that feeling, don't we? We have to, we cannot let that hold us back. And that's the key. So his first response is that he's deeply disturbed. I think that's very similar to probably all of us. We can kind of relate, can't we? We can kind of relate, whether it's that green light that we want to, you know, we want it to turn green or whatever it is. God, stop interrupting my day. We just feel unsettled about it. But then there's another response that he has. I want to go to the next verse. Verse 4 says this. He, King Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So he really does something that's very wise here, honestly. He's unsettled. He's not sure if he likes what God is doing. He really doesn't like that he was interrupted in his life by, by Jesus. But he decides to do something that I consider really wise. He says, okay, I need to go talk to somebody who knows this better than I do. I need to, I need to go talk to somebody who actually studies the scriptures and, and knows where Jesus is going to be born, because I don't know. I have no, the wise men asked me, I mean, I should know, I'm the king, but, but I don't. And so I'm going to get some guys around me, and I'm going to ask them this question. I'm going to seek wisdom. I'm going to seek counsel from these guys. And honestly, this is, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. I don't know about you, but when I, uh, do, you, do you ever come up on things that God wants you to do or, or projects or, or something at work or anything like that where you're just not sure how to go about it? Or maybe you're scared of it. Have you ever been a project that you're kind of scared of? You're like, I am not sure if I'm going to be good enough to do this, right? Or when God impresses upon you something that you know you're supposed to do, Again, going back to that whole, you know, standing with the sign thing and you're right there, you know what you should do, but you can't bring yourself to do it kind of a thing. And, and this is kind of where, where he says, okay, I need to seek counsel from people who can tell me better than I can because I don't know the answer to this question. And so he starts asking some people, what is going on? Where is Jesus to be born? And he goes and he seeks this counsel. Now, I think that this is really important. And this is one of those things where... I think it's, there's two points that are important here. First question is, who are you asking advice from? Who are you allowing to speak truth into your life? Because, for example, and I, this, is a, <laughs> this is a silly example, but if I want to become a ballerina, I'm probably not going to ask like J.J. Watt. Right? I'm not going to go to a football player and be like, so... 
uh, how do you do the, you know, the on the toes thing? Like, I just, I just don't know how to do that. You know, I'm probably not, I'm not saying that some, fo- there are probably some football players out there who are amazing ballerinas. Not many, probably, but there maybe are, okay? And so, but if I want to become a ballerina, and I'm going to, I'm probably not going to ask a football player. I'm not going to ask their advice. I'm probably going to find somebody who maybe is a ballerina and a really good one at that, okay? Uh, same case in point. If I want to tackle somebody on the football field, if I want to learn how to form tackle, to, you know, get them to the ground quickly and, you know, show, show them what I've really got, I'm probably not going to ask a water polo player, you know? So how do you do this? Well... Uh, I don't know, but I know how to shoot a ball when I'm swimming and treading water. You know, I mean, we're not going to ask that. So the question becomes, who do you ask advice of when there are matters with God? Because sometimes I find that we just go to the people that we know, that we know best. Sometimes that's okay, but really only if they are doing their best to follow God. And so who we get advice from is key. But the other part of that is, what are we going to do with that advice? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I do good and sometimes I don't do well. Sometimes I get sound, really good advice from somebody that I know I went to them because I know they were going to tell me the truth. I know that they were going to give me wisdom. And I don't know, have you, have you ever done this? And you get the wisdom and you don't like it? You're like, I went to them because I knew they'd tell me the truth. And man, that is really wise man, I know I should do that. I am not doing that. Anybody ever been there? And so King Herod, he shows us really what to do. You should go seek counsel from people who have this wisdom, who are studying, who know something about the ways of God. But then the question is, what do we do with it? Where do we go with it? So that's the second response. So he's deeply disturbed. He's unsettled. But then he does something that's good. He goes and he seeks counsel. But then there's a third response. And this is where King Herod shows his true heart and intentions. Nobody would have known it up to this point. But King Herod shows his true colors. He shows his true heart behind this matter and how he really feels about being interrupted by God. This is where everything goes off the rails, so to speak. We have to jump all the way down to verse 16. King Herod finds out eventually that that he told the wise men, you know, come and tell me when you find Jesus. Well, God warns the wise men, do not go back to King Herod. Okay, I don't know if he, God let him in on what King Herod wanted to do, but King Herod does not have Jesus' best interest at heart. Okay, he wants, to, he wants to take him out. And so they escape, they kind of sneak out of the country. And then we have verse 16. This is what King Herod does. This is his response, his third response. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Well, now that just took a dark turn, didn't it? This is kind of the dark side of the Christmas story. King Herod tries to take Jesus out from the beginning. He wants to just take care of this interruption once and for all. He does not want to have to deal with it. So ultimately, what is King Herod doing? Really simply put, King Herod is trying to take matters into his own hands. He's saying, you know what? God thinks he knows better, but I do. So I'm going to take him out. He says, I'm not going to allow God to interrupt me anymore. I don't want anything to do with that. And so King Herod kind of pushes back and he he really forces this issue. It started out seeming like he was okay, but then... He has this choice to make, and it's a choice that we all have to make. 
when God shows up, when God impresses upon something upon your heart, when you know you should start doing something or stop doing something or help somebody or jump into volunteer or whatever the case is, there's so many things that God asks us to do. When God does that, we have a choice and the choices is one of two options. There really are only two options. There are only ever two options when God interrupts us. The one option is we can walk with God wherever He wants us to go. Or we can take King Herod's route and we can fight against God with everything that's in us. Those are really the only two options. And by the way, some of you might think that there's a third option and say, well, I'm just going to wait. You know what option that is? That's fighting against God, okay? It's the same way, I've used this example before, it's the same way if I ask my kids to clean their room, they're either going to say, no, <laughs> that's going to turn out fun, right? It's going to be a fun day. No, you know, that's outright rebellion. That's obviously against us. And then, or they could say, okay, yes, and they go do it, and clean room, and we're like, woo, thank you, Lord, for a good day, Right? Or there's that in-between that we think, and it's where the kids just ignore you. They don't say no, they don't do anything. Right? An hour later, they're still doing whatever they were doing. The room is a really big wreck still. Well, we all know what choice that is, right? That's still the fight against. It's just a more passive version of it. That's all. So my question is, Most of us here probably are not taking the extreme of King Herod. But I wonder how many of us here are taking the passive version. God is asking us to do some things, to be some things. And are you simply waiting and acting like, kind of like the person with the sign at the intersection, and you just kind of act like they're not there? How many of us are acting like God didn't say anything? Oh, I'm sorry, God, what? Huh, no, must have, been, must have been what I ate last night. No, God wouldn't ask me to do that. That's, that's crazy, because that could be offensive. A lot of times we say no by being passive and just kind of acting like God did not speak because we don't want to do it. You know how well I know this? Because I've done that. Many times, I've acted like God didn't speak. Even when I, and you know why I can do that easily? Because nobody else knows. Every now and then, God speaks through somebody else, and they tell them what I'm supposed to do. That has not happened often, but every now and then it has. And man, that is a much worse feeling than just not doing what God wants me to do, because they tell me. Hey, I think, and I shared one of those stories last week, didn't I? Where Pastor Steve wrote me that email and said, Hey, this is why you're missing the boat. You need to do this. I'm pretty sure God is saying this to me. And so I think he's saying it to you and you're saying no. That was hard to hear. But I needed to hear it. And I'm not even sure if I would have ended up here in Wisconsin at Northridge if that didn't happen. And so the question becomes... Are you willing to surrender? Unlike King Herod did, are you willing to surrender to God, to Jesus, in in those opportunities where he interrupts your life? 
I think there are two opportunities to surrender. There's, there's the first one, which is you can surrender in the moment. This is kind of what we're talking about with King Herod. He was presented a question. Jesus, where is Jesus born? Okay, now all of a sudden his entire status quo has changed. And King Herod had to decide, okay, am I going to surrender this or am I going to fight it? Well, we know what choice he took. And you and I, when we are faced with that choice, when you have that coworker that drives you nuts and they did something and everybody's in the workroom and they're throwing that person under the bus and, and you can't stand that person. And so you're like, oh my goodness, this is my opportunity. I can out them. Oh, this will feel so good to just rail on everything that I do not like about them because everybody else is doing it. So it's easy. And I gain notoriety with this group. And God's saying, don't do it. Don't even go over there. And you're like, ah, but, I, but I, I want to. You know, when, when, when God says, be generous, and we're like, ah, it's hard to give up something. When God says, I need some of your time, I want you to volunteer at this place or, or, or at Northridge or, or at Wanakee Never Connection or the food pantry or the, you know, whatever the case is, I want you to get involved. I want you to help out. And you say, yeah, but I'm pretty busy. Yeah. And God interrupts us. Those are the interruptions we're talking about, isn't it? And we have the opportunity. Are we going to, in that moment, are we going to surrender to God and say, okay, God, I'm not sure if I like this. I'm not sure if this turns out, but I will listen. But then there's a bigger surrender. And it's the ultimate surrender that leads to all other surrenders. And you guys know what this one is. This is the surrender of your heart, of your soul. And this is where you choose, you make a choice to give your life to Jesus. It's, it's literally where you say, okay, not only do I just believe in God, do I believe in Jesus, but I believe you died on the cross. I believe you took my sins away. But not only that, but I'm actually going to place my life my future, my retirement, my career, my family, my children, everything in your hands. I'm actually going to give it to you. Okay? If you're like me, and a lot of you are not like me, and that's, that's cool. It's a good thing. But I'm somewhat of a control guy. Any of you that knows me knows that very well. You're like shaking your head like, yeah, that's true. I'm a control guy. And so God knows that one of my weaknesses is sometimes I like to do this and God says, I need you to do this and I need you to do it this way instead of the way you think. Oh, that's hard. But what we need to do is, have we surrendered our entire life? Have we placed our hope in our future and our direction and our family in Jesus' hands or are we controlling everything? Are we pulling all the strings? And that's the ultimate question. What does this take? I think it takes the opportunity to surrender. I think it takes humility. How many of us love that word humility? As a guy, I don't. <laughs> I'm just being honest. As a guy, anybody says humility or humble, I'm like, uh, no, tackle football, please. Like, I mean, that's what I think. I think that humility and tackle football are like at odds with each other. I really do. I, that's how I, my mind thinks. But it's not true. I know it's not true, but I still have a hard time reconciling that. And so when God asks us to surrender our life, to give ourselves up, to, to surrender, 
to have humility and humble ourselves before Him, it's hard for me as a guy to do that. I don't know if you're the same as me or similar. You can relate to that. But I, I, just, I know for me that's true. And so I, I love, C.S. Lewis talks about humility in a way that it really blasts this idea that humility is weakness. Humility is not weakness. Humility is changing our focus. Okay? Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the quote in a minute, but, but humility is not where we weaken ourselves. It is where we change our focus and what we're focused on. Okay, let me, let me just share this quote. I love this quote. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Man, does our culture, we should just tweet that and just billboards and like just every, every show should start with that. Every newscast should start with that. Everything should start with that. Because if we got that, Jesus is saying, stop trying to promote your own name so much. You start promoting my name and you're going to see amazing things happen. So the question I have for you this morning is very simple. It's the first one I asked you. How do you typically respond to God? When God calls you to do something or to stop doing something, what typically is your response? Just so you know, I don't know. Most other people around you probably don't know. Maybe a few people that know you best. But you know and God knows. That's why this is so good, but also so dangerous. Because we can go our whole life saying, I mean, we're going against God and nobody else necessarily knows. How do you respond to God most of the time? Hopefully, it's like this. I do this a lot, don't I? Are you holding on to it? Are you trying to control and pull your, the strings of your own life? Our American culture says do that. If you don't do that, somebody else will. And what I'm saying is nobody else will as long as you give it to Jesus and allow him to pull the strings or to call your phone, one of the two. <laughs> All right? One of those two. How will you respond not only this morning but the rest of your life to God? That's what it comes down to. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for not only being our Savior, but being our Lord. I don't know where everybody's at this morning with you, but I do know that you are always calling us to do something, to be something to surrender more to you. God, you're still calling me to surrender more. Every day, you show me new things that I'm just, (laughs) I haven't given to you yet. Some things I already knew, I was holding on to them. Some things I wasn't even aware of. I'm sure there are people here that have those same things. God, help us to give it up. Help us to surrender. I know you've interrupted our lives. I know you want to interrupt our lives. But help us to respond in humility, with surrender, 
Help us not to control life on our own. Help us to surrender it to you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.